This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome everybody. In Colossians chapter 3, God's Word tells us to strive for the things above and set our minds on things above. And why is that? Here's what it says. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, the components of your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then it further says, do not lie to one another since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, this is a great passage and there is an awful lot to delve into here, but it's clear that when the Bible talks about an old self and a new self, it is talking about the difference between the unregenerate man and the regenerate man who has been born again because of his faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What the Bible never teaches, though, is that you can become your true self in your physical body by embracing a new gender identity and having mutilating surgery. And yet we hear that phrase, true self, all the time from Big A. If a man has a new gender identity as a woman now, he's just embracing his true self. Uh, We all know this is a lie. It's a lie of biology. It's a lie of spirituality. It's one that the younger generations, though, are told all the time. And it's something that we as parents definitely have to address because it is absolutely all around us. Uh, My next guest, author Paul Hare, addresses this issue in a really great book he's written. It's called Her True Self, and he is joining us now. Paul, it is wonderful to talk to you again. How are you doing? Janet, that's a great introduction. Thank you for having me as a guest, and I'm doing well. Hope you're doing well, too. I am, and it's so good to talk to you. I'm so glad that you're addressing this, and it's interesting because you're doing this in a form of a story. I I do a lot of interviews about books that are nonfiction. This one is kind of a novella. Talk a little bit about why you decided to do this book this way. Stories reach people in ways that nonfiction can't, and on top of that, we just have so much nonfiction between bloggers and articles and the same types of books being written over and over. It doesn't really make sense for me to go that route. This is for me, and I think for a lot of people, parents and young adults included, is just a better way because when it incorporates the transgender issue into the book, that's not the whole story. It's, a, it's really the way I like to think of it is that it's a coming of age story for the, the boy in the story who's 18. And the issue that he deals with is how does he help his sister who told him years ago that she's actually a a boy trapped in a girl's body. And things unfold throughout the story then that that address that and deal with that. And it's a good way just to get people – you don't want to preach to somebody. So I wanted to include that in the story, but I didn't want it to be preaching. And I think it's going to reach a lot more people – if they pick it up, then anything that I would write in nonfiction never would. Well, I, I appreciate that you're doing it in a different genre because you're right. There are a lot of people who would be more moved through a story version of, of conveying this truth than they would a nonfiction presentation, especially if you're talking about young adults. You know, this gets to the heart, though, about your concerns involving young people who are being very much influenced, as you know, to embrace these bizarre concepts of transitioning and gender identity and non-binary and all these 
these other insane terms that have become kind of normal and they never should be normalized in our society, but they're all around us. And, and this is really affecting the younger generations, I think, much more rapidly than it's affecting those of us who are older and remember life before all of this insanity. Can you speak a little bit to your concerns for these younger generations being absolutely drenched in this LGBT nonsense? They are, and I don't think adults have any idea about it. And this is another reason for the book, because adults can read this too and see and get a better idea of what's going on. The one thing I've thought of is how do you convince an adult, particularly Christians, because I don't know if it's as true as it once was, but it still seems a lot of Christians seem to like to have their heads in the sand. In other yes. words, well, if I don't, they think to themselves, well, if I don't like it, I'm just going to ignore it and I'm going to do stuff that is holy and right. That's all fine and well, but while you're doing that, your kids are off at school for 13 years and then at least four more years in college and they're getting indoctrinated with beliefs that are completely opposite of your own. Right. So there's no excuse for ignoring this anymore. There is uh, no excuse for ignoring what's going on or, or what's happening because it doesn't matter if somebody as an adult will never deal with it, their kids are. And so the one thing I thought of a quick way how I could reach an adult on this would be to say, you know what, if you have kids or know somebody has kids, ask them, would you ask the kid, you know, maybe 25 years old or younger, would you ever consider dating a person who's transgender? Because I guarantee you that a lot of parents, a lot of Christian parents are going to be shocked by the answer they receive from those kids. Goodness. Because by this time, I guarantee a lot of kids, it wouldn't even be a second thought. They'd say, sure, I would. Good grief. That's, and that, that's something that I can, uh, I thought of saying, or I thought of telling people, to, to ask kids just to try to get through how big of an issue this is. Paul, what do you think is the reason that kids in Generation Z and maybe younger, I don't know if the younger generation has a generation name yet or not. They keep tagging on these new names of new generations. But if we're talking about Generation Z and even to some extent millennials, for older people in society, there is kind of a disbelief. Like, why would anybody buy into this? How in the world could you possibly listen to somebody say with a straight face that I'm a woman on the inside and I just need to have the surgery and everything will be made right and I'll be my true self? What is the reason, do you think, that young people are susceptible to this kind of propaganda? Well, it's been indoctrinated since they've entered school and maybe before that, and there's been no pushback. That's That ties into why the country is where it is today right. with the incoming Democratic administration, which is going to crush us, which is a separate story. Yeah. But effectively, it's been don't fight. As soon as progressives push an issue, the conservative response is to immediately surrender, and Christians do the same thing. Oh, we don't want to make a big deal of it. Let's not get into a fight. Let's just move on. And yeah. they have. Yeah. And when you don't fight evil, evil wins. No, that's we are right. where we are today. And that's been huge with the, the so-called gay movement whatever you want to refer to them as. The alphabet people is kind of a fun way to refer to them as well. <laughs> yeah. So they have, have had an agenda, and they've been unapologetic about it, and they've been religiously passionate about it, and that's key right there, religiously. They've been religious, but the so-called religious right sure hasn't been very religious in our beliefs, because mm. I've not seen any passion on our side for the entire time I've been an adult. And when you surrender to that, when you don't give somebody a fight, they're going to walk through and get whatever they want, and they do have whatever they want. And you think, and if people think it's bad now, wait till Biden takes over and his regime 
is going to do things that you've never imagined oh. as far as transgender yep. and worse. Absolutely. Paul, and I've been trying to sound the alarm here on my show about this because people have no idea, like you just said, what's coming down the pike. What about this issue of gender identity in general? We had that decision at the Supreme Court not too long ago saying, oh, yeah, OK, well, federal civil rights law really meant that we were to protect people's gender identity and sexual orientation, even though it's not there anywhere in the law, nor was it a thing back when that law was written. You know, when we're looking at these kinds of changes in society, why don't we have more passion for God's word and the glory of God and the insult that it is to God to try to pass off this idea that there's more than male and female out there. This is at root an attack on God himself and his creation. It is, but Christians, again, for my adult life, they've just surrendered. There's been some some kind of evil that I'll call it, and I think I'm right in calling that, in the church it says, if you get into any kind of conflict, it's wrong. Yes. You need to be very calm about everything. Don't raise your voice. Don't forget God loves everybody and you're a sinner too. Nobody has ever denied that. But there is such a thing still as right and wrong, and it is right to fight wrong. It's good for evil, or it's good for good to triumph over evil. Right. But you just can't get through to uh, to Christians uh, today. Now, you might see a change, or you will see a change eventually, but, you know, for the time being, things are only going to get worse simply because of that evil decision to say, we're going to kill passion in everything we do. And mm. once you kill passion, mm. you've killed, you know, if if I'm not supposed to be passionate about anything, then how am I ever going to fight for anything? Or how am I ever even going to, you know, fight for what's good or, 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 you know, fight for what's right? If nothing really matters, this is what seems to be the Christian answer to everything today. Well, don't forget... God's in control, and none of this is going to matter in the end. Well, that's true, but then I could say that about anything. Yeah. Don't worry about the poor, because God's in control, right. and they're not going to have to worry about that in the end. Don't worry about people suffering over there in North Korea, Christians over there, because God's still in control. Yeah, that's right. Well, Paul, hang on. we got to go to a break. We'll be back with Paul Hare. Her True Self is his book. We'll return right after this. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not an insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Mabel walks 18 miles to church every Sunday. She lives in Zimbabwe, where churches are widely scattered in remote regions of this African country. That's one reason why she travels so far. 
The other reason she walks nine miles each way is that the gospel has truly captured her heart. After coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Mabel reads and studies her Bible, and she's discovered that the gospel is meant to be shared with others. So with the help of Bible League International, she's learning to share her faith, and she's helping to see a church develop closer to her village. Bibles are desperately needed in Africa and around the world right now, and you can send one to a Bibleist believer today for only $5, or $50 will send 10 Bibles. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Glad to have you with us and glad to have with us author Paul Hare out with the book, Her True Self. It's a young adult novel about transgenderism. And I really appreciate Paul writing this book because I know there are many people who will not read maybe a textbook about the lie of transgenderism, but they will give their kids or their young adults or even themselves a chance to read a book like this, Her True Self. Paul, we were talking about the church's response to transgenderism. From your point of view, what would you say is the worst part of this entire transgenderism movement? Is it what is being done to the minds of young people? What is being done to the young people who have gender dysphoria or just confused and propagandized? They want to go through the hormone treatments. How do you see, is there a core evil about this movement that you would point to? Well, it's child abuse. And on top of that, it's child sexual abuse. And if people can't get outraged about that, I'm not really sure what to say at this point. Yeah. Um, just the other day, there was news about California had made it official that everybody in California who's in the insurance business must cover, this is the actual headline, California official, insurance must cover double mastectomies for young girls with gender dysphoria. <sighs> so what that's effectively saying is, since everybody pretty much has insurance, is everybody who lives in California is now going to be complicit in that. Oh, yeah. And so if people can't get upset about that, let me put it this way. If you're walking down the road and you see somebody just beating up an innocent person and you have to be told why that's wrong and why you should be upset, you're just in a bad place. And I don't know what I could do to get you out of that place. So this is something that uh, Christians fail to do, particularly Christians with children. And I know what their mindset was or what their mindset is, is, well, we don't want to get involved in that. We just want to concentrate on our family. Okay. But now we are where we are. So that's the real evil right there is the fact that it's it's out and out child abuse and there just isn't passion about stopping it. Well, it is child abuse. It's absolutely child abuse. And what's really interesting was I, I've got this quote here from the insurance commissioner in California relating to that story that you just mentioned. Ricardo Lara said in a press release for far too long, individuals diagnosed with gender dysphoria have had to battle a host of challenges to get access to gender affirming care in order to be there true selves. There it is right there. Gender affirming. So it's now affirming to call somebody the sex that they are not, even though biology is screaming at you what your sex actually is. We now have to go complete Orwell in order to get this done. What's shocking about it, though, Paul, is saying your true self. That is the biggest lie there ever was. You're right, Janet. And and that's, that's good that you read that because we're getting to the point where I can't, I'm having trouble talking to more and more people just because they change the language, gender dysphoria, gender affirmation surgery, pronouns like zir. Think about that. We're now, we're now in a fight. People are, are 
viciously angry because you're not using the right pronouns. What does that even mean? Yeah. It's just nonsense upon nonsense. And it's at the point where it's not just affecting the progressives, but every time I look at a conservative in the media or online, they always end up using the same language and thinking about things exactly as progressives want them to think about. Right. So every day it seems to get farther or further and further removed from reality and further and further from where I can communicate with other people. And so to me, writing the book is the best way to do it because like you mentioned earlier, I don't want to read a textbook on this stuff, but having something that's put into a real story that kind of shows how it can affect real people and give you real emotions. Because again, there's that thing that I think we need, emotion and passion. Emotion and passion can be really good things and we need them. That's where the book comes into play too. It takes you into a story. It draws you in you can identify with these characters. Well, here's the thing, too, that I think is very important. When you're talking about what's going on in California, there's also the fact that Governor Newsom already signed legislation establishing a transgender wellness and equity fund. This would be used for transgender medical interventions that are known to cause children to become sterile. This is what goes on with these hormone treatments. What I think is coming down the pike is not only California going in this direction, but every other state eventually going in this direction, like we've seen with so many of the activist goals of the big gay movement. I mean, do you do you think that that is rather imminent? Here we have Joe Biden coming in as the next president. He's got already, you know, the stated goal of within the first hundred days passing the Equality Act. Now that they've got the Senate, they can do it. That is going to be a game changer, Paul. I don't know if the church is ready for this whatsoever. They're not. The church isn't ready for it or we're not. And it is going to happen. It's going to happen, like you said, with Biden. It's also going to happen with all the Californias, Californians leaving and moving to your state in Texas and turning Texas blue. Yeah, and I then, know. Uh, yep. <laughs> there, there's going to be things, like you said, that people don't imagine, uh, can't imagine. They're going to try to force the gay agenda into the church. You're going to have to have gay pastors. You're going yep. to have to have transgender bathrooms. Yep. You're going to see stuff like, oh, this foreign country doesn't want to recognize gay rights. We're going to go to war with them. You're going to see stuff like that. And Christians are just going to stand back where their mouths gape saying, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And they shouldn't be surprised because this stuff has been happening for the past 20 to 25 years with no resistance whatsoever. So it's coming. I don't have any, if people want to say, well, what's the good news? How can we fight back? I have no answers for you on that, because the time to fight back was 20 years ago, and we decided we weren't going to do that. Well, you know, it's interesting because when we go to the Lord and we beg him for mercy, that's always a good place to be in. For for those who say, I haven't fought this, I haven't been concerned about this, this has not been on the front burner of my life, but I'm beginning to feel very convicted of that sin of apathy, because now this will affect my kids, this will affect my grandkids, and maybe it is too late, but maybe the Lord will be merciful. But here we have, going back to the issue of government, Paul. This is very, very upsetting. I think a lot of people laugh at this, but it really isn't funny. We had the House Democrats recently introducing these new codes of conduct to honor all gender identities, changing pronouns and wanting everything to be gender neutral. And you have to remove references to mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. Uh, People look at this. Okay, these Democrats are insane. When it gets to the level of the federal government doing this, is it over? I mean, I know nothing is ever finally over, you know, in the final analysis, as long as the Lord is active and working. But what's your reaction to this? The House Democrats doing this. How do you undo this once you institute this kind of thing? 
I don't see how you undo it, because what should have occurred is the Democrats have no support at this point. But instead, they control everything. And the best that conservatives or even Christians can do is maybe make a few snarky remarks on Twitter. That is, if Twitter hasn't already banned them. Yeah. I I mean, the absolute I cannot overemphasize how much this is an absolute loss in the country as far as the Democrats winning everything. And what you're seeing going on now with all the lies about what happened at the Capitol the other day, uh, with the ignoring of the communist riots and insurrection all through last year into this year, people just don't get how badly the loss is and what's going to come down when anybody who opposes the Democrats at all is going to be declared a terrorist. And you're going to have all the authorities coming after you like you won't imagine. You're going to see rage. You're going to see prosecutions. And you're going to see more people end up dead. I'm not saying that because I'm encouraging it. I'm telling you what people should expect. So, no, I don't see a way to overturn this. You're right. God can do anything he wants. But if you look at history, you know, God's, God is a God of order. It, random yeah. things don't just happen one way or the other. Right. I don't know for sure what's going to happen. I'm not going to try to, you know, say what's going to happen. And I definitely don't know God's mind, so I don't even want to go there. But if you just look at the way things are going and the way things have gone throughout history, it's not good. What do you think... Christians need to know about the power of the LGBT lobby, or as I like to refer to them, big gay. I mean, we we have spent a lot of time, and I have spent a lot of time personally trying to inform Christians about the power of big gay and why they need to be resisted. And, you know, we talked a lot about revoice and formed a conference to fight revoice, this acceptance of uh, these kinds of ideals into conservative evangelical circles. But you know, what do you say on on the score of protecting your kids from this madness and what Christian families should be doing right now if their child comes home, for example, and says, I have a non-binary friend, mom. I mean, what do you do? Big gay is ruthless and vicious and they will do anything to win. And people still don't understand that. And that's a passion that you cannot fight unless you're willing to be equally passionate in fighting against them. Yes. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be nasty. I said a bad word there. I said nasty because, you know, you're not allowed to be mean if you're a Christian, which is wrong, which is why Christians have lost. It's going to have to be a complete change of mindset. And you're going to have to be willing to face abuse and persecution because the time to oppose this stuff when that wasn't, when persecution wasn't going to happen to you is over. Now it's just a matter of who do you really believe? Where does your faith really lie? Are you thinking about getting along here in the now and, and here, or are you thinking about eternity and doing what the right thing is? Christians will have to ask themselves that. I'm not going to be, again, I don't expect to see great things happening. I could be wrong. All I can say is each individual is going to have to answer for himself one day, me included. Well, right. We all do. We all do. And in the interim, your book, Her True Self, I think is a really good resource for parents and for young adults to be able to, you know, listen to what your points are on the issue of transgenderism. What is it that you hope people will take away after they read Her True Self and and wrestle with this idea of transgenderism, maybe for the first time really taking it seriously? People should read it because it's a good book and it's going to be like nothing they've ever, ever seen before. But at the same time, it's going to also say, you know what, maybe I should actually ask my kids a few questions about this, <laughs> because the parents, I'm, I'm certain now, and, and I know a lot of parents will think maybe not their kid, but your kid's views are not the same as your views are. Right. And if a parent can read this book and give it to his kid to read, and they can come away and start talking, it's going get to get the parents' eyes opened as far as to how things really are with the whole transgender movement with Big Gay and what's going on. So if people could take those two things away, it's a good read. 
And if they can take away of, hmm, I never thought about this before, maybe I should. I'd be happy with that. Well, that's wonderful. And we need all the good books on this subject that we can possibly get. Again, the name of the book is Her True Self. The author is Paul Hare, who's been kind enough to join us. And Paul, I so appreciate your work and your writing. And we really thank you for what you're doing for the Lord. And thank you for being here. It was great to talk to you again. Thank you, Janet. I had a good time. And thank you for having me. You bet. God bless you. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, given the political situation, it's more important than ever that we refuse to yield ground on the important progress that we've made when it comes to protecting the lives of unborn children. And right now, Planned Parenthood South Atlantic is legally challenging safety and informed consent laws in the state of North Carolina. But two lawmakers, with the help of Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys, are now seeking to dismiss that lawsuit. So we're going to get some details on it now from Denise Harley, who is senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. Denise, thank you so so much for being with us. Happy New Year, Janet. Glad to be talking with you. Yes, Happy New Year to you. Tell us a little bit about this lawsuit. What is going on with these abortion advocates and their efforts to try to overturn these laws? Well, every woman deserves health and safety and deserves to know her options when she's facing an unexpected pregnancy. And North Carolina has passed several laws over the course of many years, putting in place Common sense, health and safety protections, um, informed consent laws, facility safety requirements, um, reasonable, modest regulations of the abortion procedure. But Planned Parenthood has now launched a lawsuit attempting to strike down all of those provisions that provide women with ordinary safety protections when they're considering this medical procedure and trying to strike down laws that actually give women information about Um, their own unborn child and the risks and consequences of the procedure. Right. So when you're talking about informed consent, I know one of these laws involves a 72-hour informed consent period. Another one involves informed consent information being given to women about child support and social welfare, those sorts of things. I mean, is this not under the category here, at least the second part of this, the the second law I mentioned, this is information that's going to women. So what do we make of the efforts of the abortion industry wanting women to have less information and or no information about abortion? Well, you make a good point because there are no women challenging this law saying that they don't want the information. Many women end up regretting their abortions in part because they weren't fully informed. They may not have been aware of what the procedure involved or the details of their child's development. Um, But here we have the abortion industry coming in and saying, oh, no, uh, we shouldn't have to tell our patients these things. But that's in direct conflict with Supreme Court precedent. In 2018, the Supreme Court decided a case called Nifla v. Becerra that confirmed the fact that states are free to, and in fact have a duty to, protect their citizens by requiring informed consent information so long as it is relevant and truthful. And North Carolina's laws are plainly that. 
Well, right. That was a really important case, too. And that sprang to my mind when I was reading through some of this material, because that was the very important case that you guys had litigated, having to do with those pregnancy crisis centers, crisis pregnancy centers in California being forced to convey information about where women could obtain abortion services. And the Supreme Court did it not say, no, you can't do that. That's not that's not something that you can force upon people. That's right. That was another instance of a, of, you know, that was a state trying to push its pro-abortion agenda on pro-life pregnancy centers. And what the Supreme Court said is, this isn't, this isn't like informed consent. You're trying to commandeer speech. Yes. But in North Carolina, the state is simply trying to, um, you know, regulate the medical profession and regulate very dangerous, irreversible uh, medical procedures of abortion that ends the life of um, some of its future citizens, yeah. and it's doing so um, just to protect the public welfare, um, which states are very much allowed to do, and they have a responsibility to protect their citizens. Yeah, you you mentioned something interesting, Denise, a little earlier, and that was the fact that no women who are actually challenging these laws, it's the abortion industry. And this gets into another subject, which involves whether or not the abortion industry actually has standing to challenge these laws. You've said, I know, that they don't. That's one of our main arguments is that abortion industry doesn't have the right to come in and purport to assert the rights on behalf of women. Um, You know, they don't even have a relationship with these women. These are hypothetical future customers that they want to profit off of. Um, But there's no reason why if women don't want these protections, that women aren't able to you know, raise a legal challenge. But it hasn't happened, and these bo- these laws have been on the books for years. Yeah. The truth is, uh, you know, this is like the the fox guarding the hen house because the <laughs> laws actually protect women from the abortion providers who are trying to get rid of the laws. Yeah. You're right. That's a good comparison. Another one of the laws I know is the prohibition of telemedicine abortions. I know this has been uh, something that has really become a wonderful tactic for the abortion industry as more and more surgical abortionists retire or quit. And they're having a hard time because a lot of these surgical abortion clinics have closed over the years. Uh, What are the legal implications here of prohibiting telemedicine abortions? Could they possibly make an argument that women can't get safe and legal abortions with the surgical centers being closed and therefore this is their only option? And, you know, the the obvious arguments that they're going to make. What do you say in response to that? Well, this lawsuit has been brought by 13 different abortion clinics, which are fully operational in the state of North Carolina. Uh, they have not made the argument that they're not able to have doctors in person. They simply say it would be more convenient and less expensive if we could do this remotely. Ah. And that's just not necessarily good medical care. The state has every reason to think that healthcare might be a bit more thorough, a bit more careful if a woman simply has one in-person appointment where she's able to fully ask the questions and be assessed and evaluated by the physician that's going to perform the abortion. Right. Makes total sense. Also, this law that only licensed physicians can perform abortions, that's something that we're seeing the abortion industry fight against more and more, this idea that only doctors can perform abortions. What what is the reasoning behind wanting that law struck down? Is it just more access of women to abortions, more money at the bottom line? Yes, and Janet, they don't even hide that fact in the complaint. Uh, They have 
they have sued against that law under what they say is their right to enjoy the fruits of their own labor. And they say, you know, a nurse practitioner is one of the plaintiffs, and she says, I'm capable of doing this, and I want to be able to perform abortions. But the truth is the state is well within its rights, and it makes a whole lot of sense to make sure that serious, dangerous medical procedures aren't being performed by people who aren't qualified, trained, and licensed physicians. It's perfectly reasonable. Right, right. Well, and the facility safety requirements, that's another issue that has come up, you know, in a number of states. Common sense guidelines and requirements for, you know, hallways to be wide enough to accommodate gurneys and proper ventilation systems. The fact that the abortion industry doesn't like these kinds of regulations, what do you think that says about their motivation here? They're even challenging the sanitation requirements that are the same requirements placed on hospitals and nursing homes and all sorts of other facilities in the state of North Carolina. Abortion providers are asking for a special exception so that they don't have to comply with health and safety regulations. And it's not fair to women. It's not fair to their patients because women deserve better than that. Well, right. And it doesn't seem to make any sense when you go around saying that you care about women to then say we want to make things less safe in our abortion clinics than they would find if they went to some standalone medical clinic that would just help them with their sinus infections. It's it, To me, that, that really kind of exposes more of the evil that they really have in mind when they're looking at the bottom line and wanting to keep doing abortions and destroying the lives of unborn children. And do you think that they have any legal argument at all here, Denise, when you're looking at what the complaint says, do you think there's any room for a judge to be able to say, well, they really have a point? Oh, it's very revealing. Uh, In fact, the complaint alleges that the reason they don't want to comply with these safety regulations is they all they say is that it's unnecessary and that it would be very expensive to renovate their other facilities to meet these requirements. And so it's really just a profit motive. Um, I do not think they have any legal argument at all, but I think what they're trying to do is hoping that they will find a favorable judge in North Carolina that will sort of establish some sort of new right that doesn't exist now. I think that perhaps with the shifting of the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, Planned Parenthood and other abortion advocates are feeling a bit desperate and um, are trying to go to different states and see if they can... um, you know, advance their agenda that way. Yeah, you're right about that. Well, we're really glad and hope this case will be dismissed. Denise Harley with Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank you so much, Denise, for what you guys do. And thanks for being here. Thanks for covering this, Janet. You bet. God bless. Take care. We'll be back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. When it comes to choice, the Ministry of Preborn offers the ultimate life-saving choice by providing a free ultrasound to an abortion-minded mother, all to introduce her to her preborn baby. And when she sees her baby on ultrasound and hears that baby's heartbeat, in eight out of 10 cases, that mom will choose life. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. All that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. 
Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood, and it's making a difference every day. The Ministry of Preborn reaches into the darkest corners and finds women in need to help them embrace motherhood. But the mission of Preborn is more than just a ministry to save babies. Its purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ by equipping pregnancy centers nationwide to help save both babies and souls. As Preborn puts thousands of ultrasounds into more pregnancy centers and counsels women, the ministry is also leading these moms to Christ. In 2020 alone, over 31,000 babies were saved and over 6,500 women came to the Lord. I'm going to keep my baby and I'm going to be a great mom. This Sanctity of Human Life Month, we honor the preborn by helping moms in crisis choose life for their preborn babies. Would you please join with Preborn and Janet Meffer today to help choose life for 350 babies this month? All gifts are tax deductible. One ultrasound session costs $28 and $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds. Any gift of any amount will help. $100, $200, or even $1,000. You can call now, 855-402 baby 855-402 baby that's 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com thank you for your gift you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet do you really believe the left wants unity really is that what they're calling for in their actions and their words? By the way, did you hear that PBS fired that mid-level staff attorney who was busted by Project Veritas calling for the kids of Trump supporters to be put into re-education camps? His name is Michael Beller. And they said that there is no place for hateful rhetoric at PBS. Okay, sure. Okay. No place for hateful rhetoric at PBS that's exposed by James O'Keefe. President Trump, though made a public appearance. And I thought this clip was very, very important for you to hear because it just encapsulates the relationship between the president of the United States and the media that's hating him and has hated him so much over the past four years. This is via NBC. Listen to this. Cut one. What is your role in what happened at the Capitol? What is your personal So if you read my speech, and many people have done it, and I've seen it both uh, in the papers and in the media, on television, uh, it's been analyzed, and people thought that what I said was totally appropriate. And if you look at what other people have said, politicians at a high level, about the riots during the summer, the horrible riots in Portland and Seattle and various other, other places... We are coming out of this now because the president has started to, uh, as he occasionally does, often does, veer away from the truth. His video that he taped on Wednesday after the riots were happening at the Capitol was not viewed widely as totally appropriate. In fact, uh, many people argued they were highly inappropriate and that he told the people who were rioting, the mob who was descending on the Capitol, that they were very special and that he loved them. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. And we all know you did not cut away from the president's live remarks in order to correct the record about him lying. You cut away from his remarks because he was pointing out the utter hypocrisy of the left in going out of its way to try to paint President Trump as inciting an insurrection. But they are the same people who had no problem at all with insurrection, real insurrection just a few months ago and that lasted for months and not just for an hour or so or however long the actual incident took place on January 6th. These people are a joke. I, I, they're a joke. 
but a really bad joke, and it gets worse. I've compiled some of these audio cuts for you to hear. This is just from yesterday about what they're saying in the media, and the rhetoric is just getting ramped up and ramped up and ramped up. Who is ramping up the rhetoric? After you listen to some of these clips, you're going to be able to answer that question. Here's the Washington Post's Eugene Robinson posing a question to Nicole Hannah-Jones from the New York Times Magazine and she of the Brain Trust behind the 1619 Project. Just listen to this question. Cut to. We have, um, there are millions of Americans, um, almost all white almost all Republicans, who somehow need to be deprogrammed. They're, it, it, it's as if they, 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 they are members of a cult, the Trumpist cult, uh, and, and who have to be deprogrammed. Do you have any idea how we, <laughs> how we start that process, much less complete it? Yeah, it's a real knee slapper. Anybody who's a Republican and voted for Trump and supports Trump and says, I don't see anything that came out of the president's mouth that told those rioters to do what they did in breaching the Capitol. You're a member of a cult. You need to be deprogrammed. We're like Jehovah's Witnesses. right? We're like Moonies. You know, kidnap us and, and put us into solitary confinement for a weekend and, and deprive us of food and sleep and make sure that you can work on us. So we're finally good little leftists. People who are winning the argument do not say things like that, folks. They don't say things like that. They know there are 74 million voters, not to mention people who may not have voted or people who are not old enough yet to vote, but also are on the side of America and patriotism who pose a threat to their agenda. So it is just ramping it up to 11 here. Here's another example. This is Claire McCaskill, good old Senator Claire McCaskill on MSNBC on the subject of unity. You got to listen, especially for how she ends this cut as they're discussing the claims of voter fraud and what she calls the president's big lie. Listen to this. Cut three. And the big lie that Donald Trump started committing, the, the, the crime against America that Donald Trump began, really began months ago, when he started telling people that believed in him that if he didn't win, the election was a fraud. And he continues to embrace the big lie. And unfortunately, the majority of Republicans on Capitol Hill voted for the big lie, even after they watched Donald Trump's supporters beat police officers with an American flag. So that's where we are. And if we want unity, and I think Joe Biden desperately wants it, I think all of us want unity. We want a coming together. We want to stitch this back together. It has to begin with Republicans acknowledging that there was no mass, massive fraud, that Donald Trump's lawyers had all the evidence, and the evidence was not there. It was rumors. It was Internet conspiracies. It was edited videotape. It was people trying to make a buck. It was anything but massive fraud. And until Republicans can do that, until they can reject the big lie, they can't spend, they can't even open their mouths about unity. Shut up about unity. Oh, that'll bring us together. Shut up about unity. You just said Joe Biden desperately wants unity. And then you're saying shut up about unity. They're not using the word correctly. It's like the old Princess Bride line. You were using that word, but I don't think you know what it means. Because when they say unity, what they really mean is submission. Submit. Go on our side or else. Submit to our dictates or else. Go with our narrative or else. Don't fight us. When people have reached that point of political rhetoric, you better be afraid. 
And ultimately, we can't be afraid because God has not given us a spirit of fear. But I'm speaking in the human sense. Raise those antenna on top of your head and listen to what is coming back into those antenna of yours because you're not mishearing what these people are saying loud and clear. And they are being given an incredible platform all across the spectrum of media and big tech to air this kind of insanity, to try to gaslight you and to make you think that you're the one who's evil. You're the one who's a liar. You're the one who's a domestic terrorist. You're the one who needs deprogramming. And they're perfectly fine. And then when you raise the, the objection and you say, but, 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 but what, what about the insurrection in, in, in a few months ago? Oh, we got to cut to commercial. That's what they did to the president. And as he said previously, when they go after me, they're going after you. And there, there is truth to that. One more cut. Juliet Kayam. This is the worst one. CNN national security analyst. Listen to how she refers to President Trump. This is CNN on Cut 4. And I think what we have to remember is Trump is the um, spiritual, but I will also say operational leader of this domestic terrorism effort. He tells them where to go. He tells them what to do. He tells them why they're angry. Um, And so uh, we need to start at the top, like any counterterrorism effort, which is total isolation of the president of the United States. Impeachment, yes. 25th Amendment, yes. Deplatforming, yes. All of the above. No money, no access to campaign funds. A complete isolation because as the leader of a terrorist organization is viewed as a loser, as a not winner, it is harder for him to recruit. Look, he's going to have his radical elements. We will arrest them. We will isolate them. But what we have to make sure is that Donald Trump does not have a second act. I know I sound incredibly harsh right now calling the president uh, this, but we are in the tactical response right now. Enough with the let's unity and stuff. This is a tactical effort right now to make sure that we protect American citizens and, of course, the next president of the United States. Let me just read something to you and see if you remember this. Power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. A good tactic is one your people enjoy. Keep the pressure on. Pick the target. Freeze it personalize it and polarize it. Do you listen to those clips and hear any of those things contained within the body of those clips? Of course you do. These are some of the rules for radicals outlined by Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky, the spiritual head of the Obama administration, as many people remember, keep this in mind. This is mind games, mind games and threats Who are you more afraid of? A president who says, I don't want violence and I want people to peacefully and patriotically walk to the Capitol? Or would you rather have some lunatic on CNN talk about mass arrests and call the president the leader of a terrorist organization and call for his total isolation through removal from office, no access to campaign funds, deplatforming, essentially wiping out the opposition from having any sort of organization? Because, as you know, corporate America now is halting donations to Republicans who voted to overturn the election. It's only going to get worse. These people want total control. And the question now is, will Americans let them have it? Let them have that control. We can't. We need to save our republic by the grace of God and live to fight another day. God bless you. That's going to do it for me. But we'll see you next time here on Janet Meffer Today.
This hour has been brought to you by Preborn. Help us save 350 babies' lives by the end of January through a gift of one free ultrasound. $28 saves one life. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com.